Every sport has their big, juicy controversy. Boxing has the Mike Tyson ear bite. Cycling has Lance Armstrong. Baseball has its steroid era. Curling has... Broomgate. It's a story of broken relationships, houses divided, corporate rivalry, and a performance-enhancing broom. It was a year I'd like to forget. Broomgate. Available now. Hi, everybody. Welcome to another edition of Inside Curling with our two World Curling Hall of Famers, Kevin Martin and Warren Hanson. Uh, Warren, I don't know if you just heard Kevin off air. This is a very, very relevant sign, Kevin, that you're getting older. He said, okay, boys, when we do this, I've got to go play pickleball. Okay, is that, is, is that what you're doing now, Kev? Are you playing pickleball? <laughs> got a big, a big match going on here. <laughs> okay, Warren, you and I are going to do, a, and Kevin are going to do a, Inside Pickleball will be our next <laughs> podcast that we're going to do. Stick around, everybody. We got another show coming at you right now. Last Rock, eighth end, up by two. I don't think I'm. I don't think I'm white. I don't think you are either. Oh, oh. it's clean. Oh, don't oh. kill it, Ben. Don't kill it. Don't kill it. Line's really good. Line's good. Right on the button, guys. Right Last here, guys. stone for Kevin Martin. They want it on the button. They. Sweepers are watching it. Fans are on their feet. Kevin Martin goes out as a champion. Cuts him to one. He will win his final Grand Slam, taking the Players' Championship. Talk about putting an exclamation mark at the end of a career. All he had to do was cut him down. Kevin Martin can celebrate. He is a champion. Okay, let's fully recognize our sponsors. Thank you to them uh, for supporting curling, and we encourage you to support Sports Interaction, who brings what is happening around the curling world. Nestle Boost sponsors the mailbag segment. Coyote Tractor brings you hot rock topics. And Storytime, which we do each and every show, is brought to you by Meridian. And when we have a guest, it's called In the House, and Goldline is the sponsor of that. Here's what's happening on the show today. Around the curling world, the Briar is kicked off in Lethbridge. We're going to bring you up to date there. The Paralympics got underway in Beijing, and we're going to take a look at what's going on there, including some controversy with, of course, Russia. Uh, Hot Rock Topics at the Briar. There was a bit of an issue about sweeping behind the T-line. So you guys are going to bring us up to speed there. What's, What's allowed? What isn't allowed? Uh, we continue to get tons of emails. You can email us insidecurling at gmail.com. We've got a couple today we're going to try and get to. And in the house, the one and only Brad Gushu is going to join us. Uh, so we look forward to that. That was an ep- uh, interview you guys taped earlier in the week when I was being eaten by alligators down in uh, Florida. Uh, Warren, you got a story to tell us about the 1993 Briar, which uh, you found awfully funny. And so we're going to bring that to you. What's happening around the curling world brought to you by Sports Interaction, providing competitive odds on all sports. Sports Interaction is Canada's odds maker. you got to be 19 years old, and we want you to play responsibly. Briar started March 4th. Uh, still in the early going, but uh, Warren, give us an update. Well, I think nothing too strange has happened up until now. Uh, I think certainly in the A pool, things are going as we would expect them. The teams that are doing well are Kuig Dunstan. Butcher, I thought, played a couple of really good games. Flash is not far behind. In Pool B, Gushu Jacobs, they've already gone through the head-on match. 
Gushu pretty much overwhelmed Jacobs in that game. Uh, Jacobs had some struggles, particularly Mark Kennedy, but uh, he won it. But Jacobs, Gushu, Gunnelson are in the top of that group at the moment. Paul Fleming from Nova Scotia is up there as well, but he's had a couple of uh, fairly easy starts for his two wins. So, And McEwen isn't far behind. So I think pretty much as expected, uh, I still feel the final four will probably be Akui, Gushu, Jacobs, maybe Botcher, Flatch, McEwen. Those will be the teams we're going to be looking at for the for the final on the weekend. The surprise so far in my end of things was my long shot pick, Glenn Howard. I kind of thought his son Scott was going to be skipping, but Glenn's back on the tee head. They haven't had a good start. 0-3, I think, is the last time I checked. Uh, they've had some bad luck as well. That uh, It could have been a little different, but uh, it just hasn't been going their way. Another thing I've noticed at the moment, for some reason, we seem to have a, a bit of a potty mouth briar. Every time I turn on the television, I'm hearing a, a four little friend get her or something. So I hope that gets cleaned up because that's something that just shouldn't be happening. I like the swearing, Kev. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, the, the players can figure that one out. As far as the win-loss stuff, I'm, I'm not really surprised on that. But what is nice to see is a, a crowd with curling. Talking to Karik after a couple of his games, they're a very boisterous crowd, which is great. They're having lots of fun. They're going to the patch. Um, I think people are just, you know, they've been kind of locked up for a couple of years, and this is a chance to, to get out and have fun, and it looks to me like they are. The fans are really engaged, and that's terrific. The players are enjoying it. It, it just looks fantastic, so that's great. Kevin, did you get a chance to speak to your son? What's his take on everything? The ice, how the team's doing? Uh, what does he say? Well, yeah, no, they're pretty happy with the start. You know, they're sitting at three and zero, and as as we're speaking right now, they're uh, they're up a bunch. So they they should be at three and zero, no problem. And the ice is really quite good. It's very keen, lots of movement. So it's it's conducive to making a lot of the touch shots, the hacky weights, you know, hit and rolls, that kind of stuff, which is perfect for the top teams. I think you're going to see some major uh, separation. Uh, midweek uh, because of that the ice conditions are good so the top players can shoot in the 90s and and the teams that aren't quite there you know probably won't and uh, you know the the start of the briar the, I guess the, the issue I've got is that there's so many blowouts so many blowout scores you know that kind of drives me a little bit crazy but you know it'll tighten up once you get to the playoffs but until then it's a you know, three out of four draws, it's four sheets of ice, and three out of four of them are usually blowouts. There's one kind of good game that you pay attention to. So it's a little bit, and that side is is, is, is too bad. I, I don't I don't get much out of that. But but when the big guys play each other, it sure is fun. I thought maybe, I tuned into the Botcher New Brunswick game, uh, hoping there'd be a little mm-hmm. fight that would break out between Molding and the team. Didn't happen. Well, it didn't fight, but I'll tell you, it was some pretty edgy moments, and the crowd was really into it so it was pretty good i, I think i think the uh, the game you know, ended up tied up coming home 4-4 four, four, so it was a good close game the crowd was into it you know darren was definitely being darren and he was uh, he was saying lots of stuff his mouth was going like crazy so you gotta love that so no all good i'll tell you, if there's gonna be a fight warrant i'll take the botcher team with Karik. okay <laughs> okay he looks big and tough uh very good also uh next on the agenda warren the paralympics are underway uh, bring us up to speed on that. So the team from Canada is doing quite well. The four players, John Thurston, Ina Forrest, Dennis Thiessen, and Mark Edison are on top of the pack and should have a good chance of making it to the playoffs. It's jammed up, though, behind Canada and Sweden. There's still five other teams very much, I think, in contention. So that will thin out in the next couple of days. They will finish the round robin on Thursday. 
On Friday, they will have the semifinals, and the gold and bronze medal games will be on Saturday. Interesting thing with uh, Latvia, who actually has done quite well so far. They are they have three wins. Latvia was kind of the driving force behind forcing the International Paralympic Committee to make a, a move on Russia because at the start of the or before the Olympics started, they virtually made a statement and said they would not play against Russia, and that led to the IPC saying that the Russian athletes would not be allowed to compete in any of the competitions at the Paralympics. So the Latvian team on the curling side had a big role to play in that. So there you go. What's happening around the curling world uh, brought to you by Sports Interaction. And uh, now let's move along to hot topics. Uh, This is brought to you by Coyote Tractor. Proud partner of Team Brad Jacobs and the Grand Slam of Curling, Coyote We Dig Dirt. Warren, I'm going to throw it to you about this whole issue at the Briar about sweeping behind the T-line. Can bring us up to speed, Warren, on certainly what the rule is, what's allowed, what isn't allowed, and your opinion, uh, I want from both of you, how it should work out. Well, I kind of grabbed upon this. It wasn't a big issue. There was a little bit of tussling went on in one of the games on the opening draw Friday with regard to the rights and privileges of sweeping behind the T-line. So just to review of what those rights are, behind the T-line, both teams have equal sweeping opportunity. One sweeper from either team can sweep, and it, it can be the team whose rocket is can be the first one next to the stone, but they must not impede the other team. That was changed a number of years ago. Back in my days, it was open territory, and the body checking and the gamesmanship that went on on the T-line often was uh, quite amazing. Remember, I, I played with a skip who weighed 280 pounds, so if he decided he was going to stay on the T-line, there wasn't much going to move him. But this is a, a rule that I've always asked myself the question is, why is it there? Uh, there's no other opportunity in the sport of curling where you can do anything to impede your opponent. Uh, except in this one instance, once the rock hits the D-line, if it's their stone and it's maybe going too fast, whatever, you can sweep it. I've often tried to find out what the origin of it was. I've never really been able to come up with it. Maybe it was back in the days when there was snow on the ice and it it allowed you to make sure that the opponent's rock didn't get stopped on that behind the T-line issue because of snow. But it's one of the rules I always thought that maybe, you know, maybe we should just do away with this. When you are the playing side, you have the right to the ice from hack to hack, and you can sweep, not sweep, or whatever you do. Or maybe we could make it a little more exciting. Maybe we could make the area between the hog lines then as an open territory where everybody can sweep whoever gets to the rock first. And so, you know, it could add a new feature to uh, to the sport of curling. Anyway, it's a rule I think that uh, we don't need, but uh, I'm interested to hear what Kevin thinks about it. Well, that is always the exciting part when you get uh, you're trying to make a perfect freeze and the one team thinks that they can get in there and sweep it a little more and have it bounce a little bit, whereas the team that's throwing it, of course, would like to control it right to the very end to make the freeze perfect. And that's when you get those battles and people bumping each other and, and so on. So, you know, I kind of like it. I think it's a pretty, it's a fascinating part of our game, and it's certainly where, you know, in, in this briar, we've already had some, some issues with that, but it's something that happens a lot. Um, the big thing is the team that owns a stone, if it's their stone, they have first right to it. So if they need to sweep that thing down to the perfect freeze in, in with competitive top teams, there won't be a problem. They will sweep that down to the freeze, make it perfect, you know, tip your hat and away you go. Um, it's those, those instances, the hit and rolls are exciting. 
because a lot of times a sweeper comes down at 100 mile an hour. They make the roll. The sweeper tries to stop and jump in. The other team is already behind the D-line. They can see the line better than the sweeper, so they they feel the rock will roll too far, so they want to get on it. The other sweeper's in there. It's actually their rock, but the person in the house can see the line better. So it, it does make for some interesting battles uh, physically behind the line. And, you know, I, I don't see fisticuffs happen very often so uh, i don't think it's out of control but it's certainly a fun a fun area of the sheet did you ever get in one kev a little a little jousting a little pushing a little shoving you know i got a guy that yeah he used to drive me crazy actually with a guy by the name of millard evans a really good curler in alberta uh, in his day and uh, oh yeah we'd be bumping and i get my my uh, my gripper foot really st- and stop him he was a smaller guy <laughs> but he was feisty and oh yeah it was really good but oh never fisticuffs no 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 but but certainly uh there's lots of gamemanship how about you warren you ever get in one a little pushing a little shoving oh probably a couple of times i think the other thing that used to exist back then was it's been changed now you can't warm up the ice but uh what used to happen is the the rock is at the top of the 12 foot and the other team is already warming the ice behind the t-line and and again in my time that was still allowed there was a rule brought in later that said you can't start sweeping until the rock hits the t-line it's always been a, it's it's a friction point and and i've seen a couple of times probably pretty close to there being some physical activity as a result of it. So it's from that point of view where I'm going, eh, is this something we really need to have uh, in the game? But I, I still, I don't really know why it's there. I'd be interested if I could ever find out, but nobody I've ever asked, ever seen me able tell me is, why is that rule there? Uh, thanks a lot to uh, Coyote Tractor. We really appreciate them uh, sponsoring as well as all the other sponsors. Time for mailbag. Uh, we get a ton of emails. Uh, this is brought to you by Nestle Boost. Up your nutrition game with Boost, convenient meal replacement drinks with a taste you're guaranteed to love. I can vouch for them. I've been, I've been drinking that a long time. Let's look at an email we've got from Chris Newton. Chris says, thanks for putting together such an interesting show for us curling fans to enjoy. I was wondering if there has ever been consideration to track the degree of difficulty for shots that players take during a game. I realize that some sports overdo the use of stats, but this might be an interesting stat to keep in mind particularly when comparing shot percentages for different players. Uh, thanks a lot to Chris from Severn, Ontario. Uh, Warren, what do you think of that? Thanks for the email, Chris. So yes, degree of difficulty, there is a system. There is a five-point system in place. I think uh, Jerry Gertz with scoring he has done uses it on occasion, as does Christian Sager with the World Curling Federation. The reason it's not being used in in most scoring is because the people doing the scoring have to be very experienced. They have to be able to have the ability to know how much difficulty there is involved in particular shots, unless they're a very experienced throw or scorer, which means probably a pretty experienced curler, that becomes very difficult to do. So as a result, most of the scoring is done on a four-point system, but there is a five-point system out there that does and can incorporate a degree of difficulty. And I think as we move down the line here, and we need to have more... There needs to be more uh, data in curling, and I think this is one that can be made better. And I think when we get to the point of having professional players going out every week, we'll also have professional scorers who will have the ability to add degree of difficulty into the shots. Kevin? Well, that's really the key, isn't it, to get the stats people uh, coming to the events like the curlers come to the events, and they become professionals as well. Because you're right, uh, the Grand Slams did use uh, a degree of difficulty scale, 
uh, for quite a few years, actually, through uh, Jerry Gertz. Now, Gertz, he's not doing the uh, the stats for the Grand Slams anymore. Um, so he, he was the one who did that system. But the problem is, yes, it's uh, very important that the, the stats people have the knowledge base to be able to do that. And that's really difficult, Jim, to have uh, to have that depth of knowledge in our very confusing and difficult sport. And so that's kind of the, the issue is, yes, it's a great idea. And yes, it works. And yes, it's been done. The problem is on a week-to-week basis all around the world, do you just have the, the stats people able to figure out the degree of difficulty of the various shots in, in our chess game, curling game. So that's that's the issue. Uh, it's a great idea. It will end up like that. But it's kind of, we kind of need a group of maybe 100 stats people or 150 stats people worldwide that, to get to that level. But and, and I just don't know if the curling game is there just yet, but it's getting there. Yeah, if you, uh, Kevin, if you were still curling uh, stat, you know, you probably were in curling when there was no stats and now there's a ton. If you've got an upcoming game kevin against someone are you going to go look at their stats from previous draws so you know where their weaknesses are and where their strengths are going into a game you would play with them uh maybe maybe we would probably have uh the coach like jules would certainly be sitting there watching um rather than you know look at a stats page we'd actually have have it visual like actually see the games being played but yeah there's some there's definitely uh, stats are important in in all sport and uh, we would be no different definitely uh, now, would we take it off the stats sheets? Not as much because the stats sheets aren't that predictable right now and haven't been in the past. Um, so we'd have somebody actually watching those uh, games instead of actually just going off the stats sheets. But as you know, the stats people get better and the information gets more predictable and trustworthy, then sure, absolutely you would. No question. Uh, very, very good. Thank you, uh, boys. And thank you to Chris uh, for uh, sending us an email. We appreciate it. Uh, you can email us insidecurling at gmail.com and if you do and we read your email you're going to get an electronic version of Warren your book Sticks and Stones uh, which is the story of how curling became an Olympic sport Uh, that was Mailbag Uh, thank you very much to Nestle Boost for bringing you that segment Uh, very good fellas Uh, we're rolling along Uh, when we come back you guys recorded an interview with Brad Gushu stick around Every sport has their big, juicy controversy. Boxing has the Mike Tyson ear bite. Cycling has Lance Armstrong. Baseball has its steroid era. Curling has... Broomgate. It's a story of broken relationships, houses divided, corporate rivalry, and a performance-enhancing broom. It was a year I'd like to forget. Broomgate. Available now. Okay, here we go. Um, as I mentioned earlier, this is an interview that uh, Warren and Kevin recorded with Brad Gushu, the one and only. This just in. Good curler, Kev. Good curler. <laughs> uh, and, of course, he's at the Briar. Uh, you guys did this before the Briar started. It is brought to you by Goldline Curling Equipment. They can be found in pro shops and curling stores all around the world, plus their retail stores in Calgary, London, Scarborough, Mississauga, and they've got a couple of stores in Ottawa. Goldline can be found at every Grand Slam of curling event, and online anytime at goldlinecurling.com. 
Well, everybody, we are super excited to have Brad Gushu coming on. And Brad, thank you so much. Welcome to Inside Curling again. We really appreciate you taking the time. No, it's great to be here. Appreciate it. Well, the first thing, obviously, is a big congratulations on, on the bronze medal. And uh, I, I, I'd love to hear your thoughts on, well, geez, the terrific semifinal against Nicodine right down to the last quarter second when you make impact on that corner guard trying to make the raise double and then being able to rebound and that's the impressive part to me you've heard I think you heard me talk about it's so hard for a Canadian to lose that semifinal and come back ready to play in that bronze game and you did it big time let's start Brad if you wouldn't mind take me back to the semifinal and walk me through a little bit of that last end and then then let's go to the uh, to the bronze game where you guys played absolutely fantastic yeah, I think um, the whole week, to be quite honest, was a bit a bit of a struggle for us. I, you know, the ice was was good, but it was <laughs> it was changing every single game, and and it was hard to get a good comfort zone, a good feel for us. And and to be quite honest, the ice wasn't, I don't think, real conducive to our style of play. Um, What's that mean, Brad? You know, it, what, what what was well, it about? the the rocks kind of decelerated really quick, and and we we excel at that backline hack game, that soft game, the the finesse game where. You're, you know, you try to be real specific and, and when a rock decelerates that quick kind of takes a little bit of the sweeping out of it, a little bit of the finesse out of it. And, uh, you know, I think when, when we were going through the week, it, it just looked like it was, um, you know, just perfect ice for, for teams like Bruce and, and, uh, and Nicholas who are so good at the, the hit and roll and the run back game and, and obviously very good at the draw game too. Um, and when we played the semifinal, you know, starting without the hammer, which is a challenge. We we felt like it was going to come down to the last end and hopefully we would have been tied up, but worst case being down one with, which is the situation we faced. And you know what? We played a, a real good game. We played a real good last end. And when Nicholas's rock was coming down the ice, uh, I'm still to this day shocked that they were able to hold it there because it certainly looked like it was going to overcurl and and leave us a draw to uh, draw the eight foot to, to go to the final. And uh, when he rolled, he rolled to a perfect spot because it took away any simple run back. I had to play, um, you know, a run back double. And uh, yeah, I threw it. And at the hog line, I thought I made it. And at the very last second, Mark called for uh, the outside sweeper. And I could just see it made a move just before Brett put his broom down and uh, just overcurled by a fraction of a millimeter, to be quite honest. And very disappointing. You know, we, uh, we put everything into that game. And then it's such a quick turnaround to the bronze medal game where you have the emotions of, of losing that semifinal game, but you're also playing a, a huge game, you know, probably the, the second biggest game you can play in, in a four-year cycle. And you have to get up and, and we did everything we could to be as up for that as, as we could. But when you, you go into the reserves, you know, those energy reserves and the motivation reserves is just, there's not as much there. Um, so that's why, you know, I've, I've said it, it was the hardest game I've ever played and, and I still believe it and, and by a large stretch, um, you know, we were just, I was just digging and everybody was digging to get more out of it. It just wasn't there. And, and, uh, you know, we were fortunate to play a really good last three ends and, and pull that game out. You know, I just to get into your brain a little bit here, um, I'd like to hear your thoughts of, yeah, yeah, that's such a big loss. And, and to your point, you don't have, well, too many hours before the bronze game. When you lay down to sleep, 
Like, what do you have to tell yourself? Like, like, I know this is like uh, sitting in the, getting, getting you to lay on that couch. <laughs> you know, the, the psychologist thing. But I'd love to hear how, how for the young curlers to be able to come back from a big loss. And, and I thought you guys played great in the bronze game. We called that game. Um, how do you do it? Like, it, it's so hard to get that negative out, get excitement and positivity back in. Um, can you walk me through that a little bit? Like when you lay down on the pillow and you go, okay, I need to get some sleep, but I, but I need to get this, this out of my brain. Yeah, it, it's, it was a challenge. And I, I think there's three things that I can kind of touch on that really helped us. Uh, you know, I think maturity, I, I think being <laughs> for myself and Mark being a little bit older and, and even Jeff, uh, you know, I think that helped. I think some perspective of what we played for the opportunity that we had, you know, coming up that next day. And then also I have to give a lot of credit to, to Mark Kennedy, you know, his words about how much, you know, that game does mean and the bronze medal and, and how four years from, from now we're going to look back and be super proud if we can pull that game out and come away with a bronze medal. And, um, you know, that allowed us or allowed me and cause I can only speak for myself at this point, but, uh, when I put my bed, my head on the bed, to to realize okay i gotta get some sleep and i can't dwell on on what just happened because we have a huge game tomorrow morning and um you know i I was able to just keep that focus and and to keep all the intensity and 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 all that stuff it was just really weird that all of the the intensity and and uh and energy just didn't come out like i said i think our reserve was just um completely depleted uh, after, after losing that game. And, and I'm sure, uh, John Schuster and his team felt the same way. Uh, and, and probably every team that's played in that bronze medal game, which is, which is tough. So you know, I'm, I'm very proud of how, how we handled, it, especially the last couple ends when, you know, we, we got down, uh, or we were down by a point there going into the eighth end and, and to, to pull off the last three ends the way we did, I was, you know, super proud of it. Okay, so congratulations again, Brad. That's uh, well done, and as you've suggested, very difficult situations. Um, let's talk a bit again about that uh, that semifinal game in the tenth end. And uh, we asked Nick Adine about this. What was going through his mind when when you decided to play the run through versus the draw? And I mean, the draw wasn't a given, but certainly we'd have to assume you would have made it. The run through quite a bit different, more difficult. But the situation being, uh, the odds being so low to win an extra end without the hammer, you chose the more difficult shot. As you're, as you're looking at this today, are you still uh, quite confident you did the right thing or what's your thought process today about that whole situation? Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm quite confident. I'm not sure what, uh, what Nick felt he would do. I, I, I certainly believe he would have taken that on and some of the other top skips would have taken it on. And, and kind of when I made the decision to do that, I, I felt our odds of winning in that extra end were probably five percent maybe at best ten percent uh i felt i could make that shot more than five or ten percent of the time so uh and and even as you said that the draw to the the draw that i would have had wouldn't have been that easy and and yes i probably would have made it 80 or 90 percent of the time but you factor that in you know i'm still going to miss it 10 or 20 percent and then in the the last end we're still probably going to lose 90 percent of the time our odds of winning that game weren't very good um without that hammer. So, you know, if, if I can make that shot 10, 15% of the time, it's, it's the right decision. And, and that's kind of the, the calculation that I went through. Um, there's no 
specific uh, data you can pull from just from experience. But, you know, I, I knew I'd be making contact with that back rock 80, 90% of the time. Uh, just a matter of hitting it on the, you know, half a rock on the inside. And, and you know, we, we could be gold medalists today, but uh, I don't regret the decision at all. Um, you know, we put it in our hands. I, I threw it well. You know, we, we just missed the line call a hair. And, uh, you know, that's that's the difference between gold and bronze, or at least silver and bronze anyway. <laughs> Let's talk about that. So there was a time not that long ago where I think the odds were probably about 60% in favor of the team with the hammer playing an extra end. Now we're at about 85%, I think, is the average. And as you th say against that team, you felt it was probably 5 or 10%. So we're going to Worlds this year, and they're going to try this no-tick no rule uh, to hopefully try and make this a little more equitable. Do you think that's maybe going to help? Or what do you think's the answer here going forward? Is it is it the situation we want where to go into an extra end without uh, last rock that you only have 5 or 10% chance of winning? What, what, what's your thoughts about all that? Yeah, I, I guess just to touch on the the eighty five percent, I think that's kind of calculating all of all of the skips. But when you you take a Nicholas Adine, a Bruce Mallet, Kevin Cooey, Brad Jacobson, and, and you know ourselves and, and some of the other top skips, that it's not eighty five. It is it is much closer to, to five or ten percent that you uh, you win. So uh, just because those skips are are so good and they don't miss the easy ones, you got to give them a you got to give them a really hard one and still hope that they miss it. Um, but I, I, I like the idea of, of trying the no tick. I think teams have gotten so good at it and, you know, tied up coming home without shouldn't be as, as bad a situation, um, over the last couple of years where you're only winning five or 10% of the games. You know, I think it, it should be maybe not 60, 40, but maybe 25, 75. And, uh, you know, you should be forced to play, play some different shots. Cause right now, again, the, the ticks are just made and you, Peel, peel, peel. You draw the eight foot. It's it's fairly standard. Um, so I'm 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 excited to see how that's going to pan out. We've we've tried it at the slams before, and and it's certainly made for some interesting last ends and keeps the hopes of the team that doesn't have hammer that they could actually win the game. Yeah, I'm hopeful too that it does do something because I think when things get as predictable as they are now, it's not good. So hopefully this begins to resolve it. Yeah, and that that predictability actually leads right into the you know seventh, eighth, and ninth end because you you work so hard to get tied up coming home because you know that's a you know a ninety five percent win right there. So uh, taking taking that certainty away from the last end is actually going to change how you approach the seventh, eighth, and ninth end as well. Yeah, it will change everything. So we haven't heard a lot about uh, Beijing from anyone who was there. Let's talk about that for a moment. So that was kind of a an interesting Olympics, the fact you're going into Beijing, the chart start with, which is a little, a little off center, and then we have to deal with COVID. How was that whole experience? You were in 2006 in, in Italy, and you were in China. What was the difference, and how was that whole uh, couple of weeks like? Yeah, I think I'll t touch on the similarities. I think the the fact that you're going to the Olympics, the excitement the kind of energy around all the athletes and, and, and all that stuff was the same. Um, but beyond that, it was dramatically different. Obviously the, the COVID protocols that were in place, the, the staying away from everybody as much as you can. Um, you know, we really didn't see many of the other athletes from other countries, you know, outside of the food hall. Um, and you certainly didn't mingle with them. Uh, so it, that was completely different. 
not having fans was a, was a big, big difference. Cause I remember the energy and, and Kevin can probably attest to it even more in, in Vancouver with what they had in the curling venue. But, you know, I remember just the, the roars and the chants and, and the excitement uh, from the crowd that we didn't have. It was very much like uh, the curling bubble last year, where it was uh, very, very quiet in the curling venue and, and, you know, uh, kind of lacked that, that energy from the fans. Um, but I have to give credit to the the people of China and, and, and the organizing committee, what, what they were able to pull off, keeping everybody safe and, and um, providing incredible venues. The transportation was exceptional. Uh, the apartments or the Olympic Village was was excellent. The food was good for a day or two, but got really old quick. <laughs> so that's probably another thing that we uh, we would have loved to see uh, improve. But and the volunteers were spectacular. Like they were always waving, smiling, very helpful. Uh, overall, the experience was excellent, but it was dramatically different than what we went through in 2006. How about the parody of the field there? I thought that was one of the best curled uh, championships of any sort I'd ever watched. You mentioned you guys were, were fighting a few things, but when I see so many scorers are in the 90s during that week, and particularly that final game where both teams were almost in the 90s, and I guess I ask you the question of, do you think that that, that, that was a, an, one of the best events ever in the, in the parody, and are these other teams just getting better and better, or what's actually happening there? Yeah, well, I... <laughs> Certainly, I, I have to agree with you on the last game when when we watched that. That was you know an incredible game. Both teams played very well and, and were both deserving to win. Uh, they're two world class teams, and, and the ice you know got better as the week went on, and, and they were able to uh, to show their caliber. So certainly, those two teams are, are exceptional. I do think all the other teams have have gotten you know, much, much better. And we don't get the opportunity to play, you know, a team like Joel Retornez from Italy or, or even the, the Russian team that, uh, that we played that often on tour or, or at the slams, but you insert those guys into the slams and, and they're going to give teams games. They're going to, they're going to win some games and, and, uh, we just don't get exposed to them as much as, uh, as what we would against, you know, teams like Dunstone or, or, or Epping or, or whoever it may be. So, uh, they are very good. I think the caliber is increasing and the luxury that they have, and this is something that I've, I've spoken a, a lot about. I think we're at kind of one of these points in Canada where we have to figure out what the direction is going forward, because all of these countries have essentially one team, maybe two at the tops that they invest all the resources behind and they go into the Olympics knowing they're going there for, in some cases, a long period of time. And uh, I feel they're probably a little bit more prepared for that event than what the Canadian teams are. I think we are obviously a little bit more seasoned because of our ability to play on tour and play the Grand Slams. But, you know, when we get to the Olympics, we're, we're rookies and, and we're inexperienced when you look at, uh, you know, a team like Nicholas Adine, who's been there four straight years or, uh, you know, Bruce Mallett, who's certainly going to be there probably for, you know, four straight cycles as well. So uh, that's an advantage that those countries have over Canada. We, we have to fight so hard. And, you know, in our situation, it took 16 years to get back there. What do you think Canada should be looking at? There's a, there's a couple of things. I think obviously the timing of the trials, I think providing the winner of that a little bit more time to prepare and, and a, also the ability to put the resources that we have here in Canada behind that team. So, I think late spring, we should be awarding the Olympic teams a spot. I think that's one factor. 
uh, I think we are supporting and funding way too many teams right now. Um, you know, there's a lot of resources that are going into teams that have, you know, I'm not going to say no chance because <laughs> that, that statement has a history with me. Uh, but, uh, <laughs> but very, very little chance of, of representing Canada, uh, at the Olympics. And, you know, I, I think that's, that needs to be adjusted. I think there, there also has to be a more talk about centralization of teams. You know, we've, we've allowed teams now to one free agent. I think that has to expand, I, but not just expand. Um, but those teams that are, are going to form with, with people from different regions have to get together more. You have to train together more, practice together more. Uh, you know, so if, if you do pull two people from across the country, you know, it, it, let's say our situation, if, if we had a, someone from BC and someone from Quebec, uh, they would have to come down for at least one week a month or two weeks a month or whatever is determined to, to practice and train together because, you know, in Bruce's and, and Nicholas's situation, and I'm only going to speak about the men's side, uh, you know, they're practicing and training together all the time. And, uh, you know, that, that has a, has its benefit. And we experience it with our, our team right now. You know, when Jeff first moved to Edmonton, uh, we didn't get together anywhere near as much as we did when we were all living in St. John's. And, and we had a, you know, we had a, a rocky year or two when, before we figured, okay, Jeff, you're going to have to come to St. John's quite a bit and train with us. And once we started doing that, then we went back to being, you know, one of the best teams in the world. So, um, you know, I think those are a few things that have to be addressed. Uh, there's a number of other things and, and you need another show for, for us to go through it. Oh man. Yeah. Isn't there so much to talk about? Brad, I want to change uh, uh, topics here a little bit and get into more of the players association um, with the Paralympic games, of course, going on with the IPC uh, players from Russia were going to be allowed to play, but then led a lot by the Latvia team. Um, things were changed. Uh, the, the decision was, was different and they changed their tune, and all of a sudden, um, Latvia started. The Latvia team started. It went into other teams, and, and they just weren't going to put up with it. And I just thought, you know what? Like I was really proud of the players to to do that. But that really says a lot to the players' association in our sport on a regular basis, on a normal basis. And I know, I, I believe, Brad, that you were sent the new two hundred page document to do with the players' association before you left for the Olympics? I was hoping that happened. Uh, I, I, I got a briefing on it. I haven't actually received the document, but um, you know, I, I, I agree with you. Players have to, to come together. And, and uh, I was actually on a call with Jerry Peckham uh, when I heard, you know, shortly after we heard the news that the, the Russian athletes were going to be allowed to compete. And, and I said to him, I said, if, if I was in this situation, I wouldn't play yeah, against, against that team. And, and if, um, you know, we went here at the Briar and we went to Worlds and they were there, I, I wouldn't play. And, and, you know, I'm, I'm proud of the, the athletes there for standing up. And, and I think ultimately the right decision was made. Uh, but, you know, that's a pretty dramatic situation, obviously, with what's happening over in Ukraine. But, you know, on a much smaller scale, you know, that's, that's the power that, that players have in, in, in making the decisions. And sometimes, we as, as players and as athletes get for, forced into situations where, by people that aren't really aware of what we are going through as, as players and athletes. And uh, having that one voice is, is so important uh, because otherwise you have one or two teams that have the courage to, to stand up. And 
sometimes you look a little foolish, <laughs> you know, if, if you're the, the one uh, saying things that are, are kind of going against the flow. So that's something that has to happen. I know it's in the process of happening and, and I can't wait until it gets uh, put together and, and we can start making some some positive change for the players in the future of the game. You bet. Hey, and I want everybody to know that we're taping this show before you start the Briar. We didn't want to bother you, of course, once you get into playing and so on. So when I talk about the Briar here, I want to talk about the 18 teams a little bit and the amount of time it takes to run the event. Um, I was just talking to Karik yesterday. Uh, he was driving to, to Lethbridge, um, I, I believe on the Wednesday, because he had a 9 a.m. COVID test Thursday, Briar starts Friday and then ends the following Sunday. So now you're talking about a crazy amount of time. And if you're traveling like Lethbridge all the way from Newfoundland, you've got another day of travel. Like, like we're getting to where you've got a two week event just about. Um, I want to hear your thoughts about how, how do we change this? Like, how do we uh, make it more reasonable? Let's play it like five. All, all we don't want to do is crown our champ. Like who, who's the best? We want to crown that champ and send them to the world. That's the purpose. That's, that's what this is all about, is picking our champ. We shouldn't have to take two and a half, three months, four years, whatever it is. Let's, let's get the event done in five days, or, or, or maybe six days, or four days. I'm not sure the answer, but I know the answer isn't making it two more days longer. Um, I, I'd love to hear your thoughts, Brad, because I just, I just it, it blows my mind, like, you know, it's just, it's crazy how, how long it takes to, to crown a champ. And that's all we need is just to play, uh, play an event in a way that the cream rises to the top and you have the, your top three or four or whatever, fight it out in a playoff situation at, in front of great crowds, in front of big TV audience, and we crown our champ and we send them to the world. I agree. It, it, it's way too long. And, and, and the thing that gets me, uh, this is, all, you know, kind of touches on what you, you talk about is, a two-week event essentially is is what we're running here. You know, none of us are, are professional athletes. You know, a lot of us have to take time away from work and, and time away from from family, or whatever. Uh, you know, and and we're coming here, and and essentially it's it's uh, being expected like a professional event. But then when you look at the rules that are in place around in the whole curling world, we're not being allowed to be professional athletes. So, but yet when we come to this event, we're, we're expected to, to do that. You know, what, what I love about the, the grand slams or the regular events is, is, you know, five or six days, which is still a, you know, a fair bit of time, but uh, you can run it and, and take three, maybe four days away from work where here it is essentially two weeks. And, and if you win, you know, you're not getting home until the following Monday night, you know? So it's uh it's a tough stretch. And, and I think at this point with 18 teams, it's too many. Uh, it is too many teams to, to have at a national championship. Uh, we are just, uh, you know, trying to determine a, a representative to go to the world championships. But I also understand that this is a show and it's an entertainment product as well. Um, and that's where that, you know, professional side comes in. But and I shouldn't just isolate curling Canada in this, but the whole curling world has to do more to allow athletes like ourselves and like Carrick and, and some of the other top teams to be a little bit more professional and do what professionals do as opposed to being expected to do it two weeks of the year when you come to the Briar. I want to get a little bit into it. And I'll let Warren back in here. I know he's itching to ask you lots of stuff too, but you know, we could talk for 20 hours, as you know. Um, fatigue. Uh, in 1992, Brad, that was a long time ago, we played in the Olympics and I came back and played the Regina Briar and man, was that a killer. 
We, we actually did pretty good in the briar, but oh my God, I was so tired and just wasted. It actually screwed me up for a year at least. Um, I'd like to hear your, like, how are you doing? Like, are you hanging in there? Because it just, uh, you know, luckily you're older than what I was then. Um, so you kind of have more of an idea of what you're doing, but still just the straight fatigue of it. Yeah, the fatigue is is an issue. Obviously, when we're over in, in Beijing, for us coming from Newfoundland, we're 11 and a half hours different. So our, our time clocks were were flipped. Uh, so we're having to adjust to that. Obviously, the fatigue and, and the intensity of the, the emotion and also the physical strain that you have and, uh, you know, mental strain, emotional, all of those things that you have going through the Olympic process and not just the two weeks of the Olympics, but you know, the four to eight weeks leading into it as well. Um, there's fatigue there. You know, we had an interesting week this week. Uh, there was uh, an attempt to appeal our, our us even being here at the Briars. So, um, you know, that, that took a whole lot of energy from our team this week where, you know, there was, there was moments where we were uncertain if we were even going to be allowed to play here. So, um, you know, dealing with that and, and then coming home with the bronze medal and the excitement of some of our our, our supporters and obviously our, our family and friends in, in trying to, uh, you know, embrace that, which as you know, Kevin is, is important and, and something you want to do as, as an athlete. Um, and as a family member, you know, you, you want to be able to celebrate and, and enjoy that too. That takes some time and energy. So, you know, we're coming in here pretty depleted. I'm not going to lie, but we are excited to get out there and play with fans. I think that is, you know, the one thing that's driving me right now. And I'm certainly hoping that that energy is going to be able to, to carry me throughout the week. But I wouldn't be surprised if um, we, uh, I don't know if I'm allowed to swear on this thing or not, but if, if we shit the bed, uh, <laughs> I wouldn't be surprised. Um, but I also wouldn't be surprised if we go out there and, and kind of freewheel it and, and get on a run and, and see ourselves around at the end of the week either. So, But f- to be honest, I think the expectations are, are much lower for us um, than what they normally would be coming into the briar. But you know, I, I think even even with that, we're, we'll give ourselves a decent chance and, and uh, you know, hopefully the crowd gets behind us a little bit. <laughs> the crowd's always behind you. Every Brad Goosey always plays home games. Everybody knows yeah, that. Yeah, we're, we're, we're lucky. <laughs> we, we've got a good, a good fan base. And, and uh, like I said, I'm, I'm hopeful that, uh, that people are, uh, are going to come out and support the whole event, not just us, because uh, having that energy is something that I missed. And we were so lucky to have it in Saskatoon. And, and you know, we really missed it over in Beijing for sure. Well, I think there's one big question we have to ask you, Brad, because we're seeing some interesting things on Twitter here the last couple of days. What's the future of the Brad Gushu team? Um, I've heard some things that Mark and I are retiring. That's that's not true. Um, you know, I, I think the future of our well, you are getting is, pretty old. We, we are getting old, so I, I don't blame people <laughs> for throwing that out there. Uh, you know, it's it is somewhat believable, but uh, you know, in this situation, it, it isn't true. Uh, you know, we are going to continue curling. As far as the future of our team, you know, I I'd, I would certainly say it looks doubtful that we're going to have the ability to play together. Um, just with residency rules, Brett moving out, obviously, him moving to to Alberta after he gets married with Jocelyn and, and looking for, you know, a fresh start. Um, you know, there's there's probably going to be some uh, some changes there, um, but we haven't sat down as as a team and, and said, you know, this is the way it's going to be. That's going to happen after this event here. But, um, you know, we, we have had some discussions. We know Brett is moving out west. So I, 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 I know things are going to change. 
what that change is going to be, I, I don't know. And uh, I, when I look around at kind of the men's situation, I'm like, I don't, I, I don't see many of these teams staying together. So I, I think uh, for curling fans, there's going to be, uh, you know, a very interesting probably four weeks uh, following uh, following the Briar, and maybe not even four weeks. It might all pan out in a week or two, but uh, there's going to be some some shakeup for sure, and, and even on the women's side, uh, there's going to be quite a bit. So it's going to be an interesting. Uh, we'll see how it all pans out. <laughs> Hopefully, I can find three guys that want to play with me. That's all I'm worried about. We're suggesting that Curling Canada should drop the residency rule, so maybe maybe that'll happen. Right? I, you know what? I I I don't disagree with you. There needs to probably be something, but I think a loosening of it at this stage would, would certainly help. Um, and I think that's that's ultimately going to come because I, I, I truly believe that when teams are are being formed over the next couple weeks, I think their intention is looking towards uh, 2026. And, um, you know, that's, that's all they're looking towards. They're not looking at the, the residency side. They're going to figure out what's the best team we, that we can make. And then the second thought is, okay, how can we make this work? For yeah, then, then, <laughs> so. Exactly. So we're going to figure out which team we want, and then we're going to try and figure out the way around it. Yeah, exactly. And, and that's going to happen. And, and, and let's be honest about it. Like I'm, there's no sense in, in sugarcoating because that's, that's what's going to happen. That's the conversations that are, are already happening, I'm, I'm sure. Um, and I'm, I'm also quite certain that Curling Canada is aware of it as well. And, you know, we, we do want to send the best team to the world championship and the best team to the Olympics. And the residency rule doesn't always allow that. And, and I'm a perfect person to speak about it because when, you know, there was a strict residency rule in Newfoundland, we had very limited choice in, in, in who we could have. And, you know, I was always jealous of teams like Kevin or, or, or Glenn Howard, who, you know, had a wider pool of talent to choose from where in Newfoundland, you know, we, we, we just didn't have that. And, um, you know, that's, that didn't allow us to create the best team that we possibly could have. Um, and, uh, you know, I think without that residency rule or certainly a lean, more leniency with it, uh, we're going to see some better teams form over the next four to eight years. Well, that would be great if that happens. Brad, congratulations on Beijing. Congratulations on all the success with this team. And it'll be exciting to see what happens next with Brad Gushu. But, Thank you so much for taking a few minutes here with us and uh, good luck at the Briar. Thanks guys. Keep up the good job. Uh, you know, love you guys telling everybody's story or letting everybody share their story. So uh, enjoy it. We'll see you soon. Great. Thanks, Brad. Good luck. Awesome. Thanks, Brad. Every sport has their big, juicy controversy. Boxing has the Mike Tyson ear bite. Cycling has Lance Armstrong. Baseball has its steroid era. Curling has... Broomgate. It's a story of broken relationships, houses divided, corporate rivalry, and a performance-enhancing broom. It was a year I'd like to forget. Broomgate. Available now. Uh, so there we go, boys. Uh, once again, uh, no opinions from Brad <laughs> about things. Uh, thanks a lot, though, uh, for Brad for taking the time to do this. Story time brought to you by 
Meridian. Uh, Warren, this is a story that you've got for us from something in 1993. Meridian Manufacturing, your industrial and on-farm storage and handling partners, a proud sponsor of the Grand Slam of Curling. What do you got for us, Warren? 19, we're going way back to 1993. The 1993 was, a 1993 briar was kind of a unique phenomenon. If I had to suggest if there was ever a, a briar from hell, this was probably it. And the fact of uh, numerous things that went on this week that were a little crazy, a little funny, but it was kind of at a point in time when a lot of things were in the change process. We were still fighting with the whole issue of getting curl out of the ice, out of the rocks. Some people kind of understood what was going on. Others didn't. So as a result, going into the 1993 Briar, we were still dealing with straight ice. And uh, the ice maker throughout the 80s, Don Lewis, had pretty much retired after 1991. And Marcel DeWitt from London, Ontario, had become the ice maker for the Briar. He did 92, 93, 94. But at the same time, Shorty Jenkins, who kind of never was on side with all these other old ice techs, uh, was also coming into the fray. And so Shorty was also from Ontario. So I'm trying to remember why he was at the Briar, because Marcel was the head ice tech, but he was there. And we went through the first couple of days, and it was the same old story. Uh, we weren't getting any, any curl to speak of. Everybody knew that Shorty used sandpaper, but nobody wanted to admit it, and it was kind of still a taboo story. And Bob Hartwell, who was also part of the Ice Tech group, was on the CCA board. So I know there were some discussions went on between him and Shorty in the back rooms on Sunday, Monday. Marcel, I don't think, was part of this whole thing. But I guess uh, what happened was Shorty came into the arena in the middle of the night on the Monday evening, and he got out a scraper. And I guess I entered the arena at about 7 a.m., and Dave Merklinger, who was a young ice tech just learning the trade at that point in time from the old boys, I ran into him in the coffee room. He says to me, if I was you, I would leave the building. And I said, oh, really? <laughs> yep, you don't want to be around. What happened? You'll find out. So now he's got my antenna perked straight up. So the draw is starting in a couple of minutes. I head out to jump into the media bench to watch what's going on. So there was a very important game going on between Russ Howard and Vic Peters. And it was only Tuesday, but yet these were the a couple of, of the front runners. And so this was a big game. So I'm watching the first end. And they were playing everything kind of from the outside in for the most part. So everything looked like it was moving more than it had been. So I thought, hmm. That's kind of interesting why that's happened. But Howard goes to play his final shot at the end. He had the hammer, and he has an open hit for two. But he's going from the center out with an outturn. And I'm just trying to think, okay, has anything been played that way? Probably not. Okay, so this should be fine. So he lets the thing go. And the first thing he says is, hurry. And that's about a split second later. It's, whoa. <laughs> And um, I'm behind, I'm watching this rock that was starting to maybe curl a little bit immediately is now backing up. <laughs> and it backs up right by the rock that he's trying to take out, misses it, Peter steals one. And I'm going like, that's not the way the, what the hell's going on here? So I, I'm looking and Howard is just smoking and he must have known something was going on because I see he's looking up into the stands. He's looking for where Shorty is. So long story short... <laughs> <laughs> Shorty had gotten into the arena at about three o'clock in the morning and he did not four sheets. This was the first time I think we ever had four sheets of ice, but two, he did sheet A and sheet B. And he was, he tried to dish the ice with the scrapers to get more movement. Of course, 
movement's going to come from the outside in, great, but going the other way, it's not going to be quite so good. So he'd done two sheets of ice with a scraper and had dished both sheets. And so now all hell broke loose. So we've got to get through Tuesday. You got three draws that day, and now everybody knew what was going on with sheet A and sheet B. They'd been dished. And so at the end of that morning draw, I pulled Marcel and Shorty together. I said, okay, I don't know what's going on here. I don't want to know. Shorty, go back to Kingston. <laughs> have a nice day. Watch the games on television. Marcel, whatever you have to do, fix it. I don't care. And so what happened that night, Marcel, after four days of the briar, had to put on a flood to fix up what uh, Shorty had done with the scraper. So... That's a little story of what went on in those days and some of the conflicts and things that were taking place. It's kind of funny, but Russ Howard didn't think it was so funny. I love that. I love Shorty busting into the rink at three in the morning. Uh, that's funny. Okay, someone, we got to put an ankle bracelet on Shorty. Okay, we got to keep. <laughs> this guy's a man after my own heart. I love that stuff. Anyway, great story, Warren. Warren, that is almost 30 years ago. I don't know about you, Kev. Uh, I can't remember what I did 30 minutes ago. What a, what a great story and uh, what a mind, Warren, and what a memory you have. There's some things you never forget. <laughs> I know. That's a good one. And I will never forget that story. Uh, the, the shorty story. That's what we're going to call him. I'm sure there'll be more to come. Uh, oh, there's many have. shorty stories. Uh, fellas, uh, what a good show. Uh, and you can uh, get a hold of us inside curling at gmail.com. Uh, also, we've been doing some Zoom calls. Uh, with Kevin and Warren and myself. If you'd like to do that, get a hold of us. Uh, uh, keep in mind, we're doing it on a limited basis. But we've had a lot of fun doing this. A lot of curling clubs uh, line it up, and then they get to fire questions at Warren and Kevin for an hour, and it's really good. Uh, Rod Paulson, thanks a lot. His company, In-House Strategies, has been looking after our Facebook page and our Facebook group. Uh, why don't you jump, jump on there and check it out? There's so much content and so much opinion on what is going on. Kevin? Off to pickleball? Is that what uh, is happening now? <laughs> yeah, we'll go a big match. Big match okay, right now. <laughs> Take it easy, everybody. Thanks for listening. This has been another edition of Inside Curling. See you later, Warren. See you, Kevin. Thanks, Jim. Thanks, Jimmy. Thanks, Jimmy.